Hey, Sanctuary, it's so great to be with you. I almost just don't want to talk and let the worship team continue worshiping. That was so great. Can we just give them another hand? That was awesome. Well, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Michael Nafsed, and I'm the pastor of Sanctuary, and Mark uh, works on the team as well. So we're just so excited that you're here. We have root beer floats today, and uh, we have a lot of great things that are sinking before, and uh, this, this uh, message in worship um, from 7 to 8 every week. So we love that you're here. We invite you back. And, and I want to start today by asking you kind of a random question. It's, it's an old phrase that I kind of grew up with. Who remembers the phrase or knows the phrase green thumb? Like, you know, like he or she has a green thumb, meaning that, that someone is good with plants or growing plants. How many of you are self-proclaimed green thumbists? Like you, you think you're pretty good at growing plants. Anyone? Okay, a couple people. So what's interesting is that I actually come from a long line of green thumb people. Uh, you're laughing, but it's not a joke. Like actually, my parents are green thumb people. My grandparents are green thumb people. And actually, my grandparents always told me that my last name, Napstad, uh, came uh, from Norway and that the last name was used to describe a particular people who worked on a particular farm. I don't know if it's true or not, but they said Nap was like for breaking wheat and Stad for a farm. So basically, I should be really good at, at growing plants. But it kind of skipped a generation, like the gene skipped it from me. And I learned this a couple years ago when I got a house plant, you know, when you're adulting and you have an apartment and you're like, okay, I need to get a picture. What's missing? People have plants when they're adults. So I got a plant and I put this plant here and I'm like, this is so great. I know how to grow plants because it's, I'm literally named after growing things. And after a week, it died. <laughs> and so then I'm like, well, it was probably a bad plant. I went and bought another plant, and I'm like, this is going to be great. Time to, like, like a new season, a new round. And then it died. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, my goodness, maybe the hipsters were onto something. Let's get a succulent. So I got a succulent, <laughs> and, and I heard that succulents will, like, you can do almost anything, and they won't die. So I'm like, this is perfect. I'll tell my parents, oh, yeah, I'm so good at growing plants. This, this is a true story. The succulent died. <clears throat> and then I thought, okay, what can withstand a lot? Cactuses. Cactuses can be in a desert and they literally live. You can do anything to a cactus. So I bought a cactus and the cactus died. And I thought, what is going on with me? I need to get something that's tough. I need to get like a fighting plant, a killer plant. So I got a Phoenix flytrap. And I'm like, surely it can defend itself. Like, it's like in the name and I killed the killer plant. <laughs> so I'm not really good at growing things. And in fact, I just in uh, last month, I got out of a nine month course uh, called uh, Soul Care. It's for just kind of spiritual wholeness. And one of the months, a few months back, we got a tulip bulb in the glass jar. We were to put the tulip bulb in the glass jar and then um, set it down. And for the month, we had this prayer practice. And I did this prayer practice. And as you pray and as you grow in prayer, you, you see this tulip shoot up, which is great. And we all, uh, at the end of the month, we took pictures of it and shows like 30, 40 people in the class, like super spiritual people. I'm like, why am I even here? And they, everyone was showing their tulips like, oh man, when I was praying, this is how I growed in the Lord. And this was my tulip. Or one day it wasn't growing that much and I had a breakthrough in prayer and my tulip broke through. And, and then I showed my picture of the bulb. <laughs> super embarrassing, which not only didn't grow, but when in reverse, it actually became rotten. <laughs> and like, I don't know what that means about my prayer life, but I'm, <laughs> if you're like me and you're not good at making plants grow, <laughs> we're, we're in good company. I mean, it's difficult to make plants grow. 
for me <laughs> and some of you. I mean, there's so many like important components involved, a lot of which, honestly, I just get really impatient with. I mean, I'll find myself looking at the plant and being like, okay, grow, grow, what do I do? And I'll try to speed it up by being like, oh, it needs more water. And so I'll go and, and give it water, which is bad when you give it too much water. <clears throat> but because when it comes to growing plants, you have to have the right amount like the right amount of sunshine, the right kind of soil and the right amount of soil, the right kind of climate, the right like sunlight coming at the right amount of water. And, and the part that I'm not really good at, the part that is necessary for all growth is to wait. Like you do everything you need to do and then you just step back and you just wait. Who has time to wait? Like, I don't have time to wait. I'm bad at this. And then that's actually the difficult thing about growing in general. When everything is, is gathered that you need to make growth happen, like you've learned all the right things, you've done all the right things, there's usually a waiting period. Just like a plant needs time to grow, we need time to grow. Now, we're in this series called Fruitology, where we're looking at the different fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. And tonight, as you guessed, we're talking about uh, a fruit that, for me, is honestly super, super difficult, like very difficult. And I'm sure that you probably could relate maybe in one way or another. We're talking about patience. Now, patience means to accept and endure waiting. And what's interesting about patience is patience is a fruit that needs to be grown, now, there's a parable in the Bible uh, that Jesus talked about uh, a farmer. There was this farmer who had seed. And this farmer went to a field and he cast his seed. He sowed his seed. So he went and he got some seed and, and he threw it all around this field. And there was different parts of the field that had different kind of soil. He threw it on shallow soil, like a path where people would walk. He threw it on, on rocky soil. He threw the seed on, on soil that just had a lot of thorns. And, and then he threw it on some good soil. And this good soil ha uh, grew the seed to yield a crop, it says, a hundred times more than was sown. And when Jesus was saying this parable to his disciples, his disciples were like, great story, Jesus. I don't get it. Explain it. So Jesus explained the story to, him, to them. He said that the different parts of the soil, are, the different conditions, are like the conditions of your heart. And then, and then he said, and the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a, a huge harvest. I mean, according to Jesus, the condition of your heart isn't the only thing that's necessary for your life to be fruitful, for your life to grow. We need patience as well. In fact, if you want to grow, you need to grow patience. And that's why James said, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, which sounds good. But honestly, in real time, when we hear about it, patience is tough. Patience is, is rarely, rarely an easy thing. It's one of the hardest things for me. That's why for today, I wanted to make it easy for us to just learn how we can all grow in patience together by boiling it down to two words that, that I encourage you to take home. So I'm going to go over two words. The first word is acknowledge. To acknowledge the season you're in in order to grow patience. 
there was this young man in the Bible. His name was Joseph. And Joseph, if you're familiar with the story, it's found kind of near the last chapters of Genesis. Joseph had a lot of brothers. And he also had his father's favor over his brothers. Joseph was also a dreamer. And he would dream these dreams, and then he would go to his brother, brothers, and he would say these dreams to his brothers. And these dreams were typically that Joseph would one day rule over his brothers. So being the younger brother, he's like, hey, guess what? I had a dream. You're going to bow down to me. Obviously, this did not go well with the older brothers. <clears throat> and then, so after a while, Joseph would have these dreams, and he would say these dreams to his brothers. That, paired with the favor that his, their father had on Joseph, and they were done. They were done with Joseph. So they actually took Joseph and then they threw him in a pit. They deceived his father and then they sold Joseph into slavery. I thought my brother was hard with me. <laughs> they threw him into slavery and there Joseph was. And in slavery, he found himself in the captain of the guard's house. And he actually ruled he was in charge of the captain of the guard's house. But just like his brothers kind of deceived his father and threw him into the pit, the, the captain of the guard's wife deceived uh, the captain of the guard and had Joseph be thrown into like one of the worst pits possible. He was thrown into prison. And there Joseph sat in prison. And in that prison, Joseph had no hope, no hope of being released. I mean, no matter that he felt that he was called to something bigger, no matter that he had favor, he kept being thrown down and down and down until he reached just the, the dark bottom. Have you ever experienced that? Something like that, like no matter how hard you try, your life just, just continues to be, to, you feel like you're just being thrown down, being thrown down, being thrown down until you feel like you're just at the dark bottom. Circumstances feel hopeless. And I know I have. And if you've been in the dark bottom before, you, you, you realize that, it's, that it's, it's pretty hard to just not give up. But that's not what Joseph did. He didn't complain, which is, which is kind of crazy when you read it. I'm like, I'm a complainer. I complain about everything. Joseph didn't complain. Joseph didn't like self-destruct. Joseph didn't tear himself down. In fact, what's interesting is that Joseph did the opposite. Joseph accepted the reality of his circumstances. He acknowledged where he was at. And when he realized that he could not change his circumstances, Joseph changed himself. And, and, and acknowledging, I want to talk about that word because it can be kind of loaded, acknowledging that you're in a patient and often just kind of challenging season. It's not admitting defeat. It's just understanding, okay, this is where I'm at. It's understanding how you got where you're at. And it's understanding how you can grow through where you're at and acknowledging how you can get through where you're at. So there was Joseph growing, waiting. And then in, that, in the dark bottom, he, he realized, man, my father has favor on me. God has favor on me. And actually, God is with me. And he continued to be patient year after year. And he continued to grow 
year after year, he changed. Joseph once bragged about, about his own dreams, and now through God, he interpreted others' dreams. It was no longer about himself, but it was about others. And after years of being in the prison, just, just patiently waiting and growing, he got through it. He was released out of prison. And the story goes that he was actually uh, the second in command over all of Egypt because Pharaoh had a dream. He had a couple dreams and Joseph interpreted them and Joseph helped save Egypt. You see, Joseph could have given up when he was in prison. He was in prison, but he didn't give up. All hope seems lost when we're in the dark, dark bottom, but instead Joseph did something courageous. He acknowledged and he waited patiently because sometimes being patient is the most courageous thing that you could ever do. And just like plants grow in the waiting, Joseph grew. How he used his gifts grew because it's usually during the, the patient waiting that were developed. I mean, it's in the waiting that crushed grapes become wine. It's in the waiting that, that bread, you know, you need bread and then you, you let it wait and that, that the bread begins to rise. It's in the waiting where investments can multiply. That's why you never cut down a tree when it's wintertime because spring is always, always right around the corner. I mean, even though the branches of the tree seem just barren and cold, what happens is that more fruit can grow when spring happens. You see, sanctuary patience is necessary for growth, even though we, we often don't like it. What are you waiting for? What is it that you find yourself just waiting for right now? Is it change that's coming? Maybe you're gonna go to a new school or start a new job. Maybe change just happened and you're like, I don't know what I'm waiting for, but I know I'm waiting. Maybe you're just, you're just waiting for that raise. You're like, man, I haven't got a raise in a long time. Maybe you're waiting for a promotion. Maybe you're tired of being single and you're just waiting for that significant other. How hard has waiting been? How long has waiting been? The Bible is full of people who have to wait. For the prophet Micah, he's a great example. The prophet Micah, he was in this, this long winter-like, just dark bottom season of waiting. And for Micah, all hope seemed almost lost. And he, but he wrote in the midst of that, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me and my God will certainly hear me. Because here's the thing, God isn't just with Joseph in the waiting. God's with all of us. He's with you when you're waiting. And he's able to help us through our circumstances. Now, the second word that I want to talk about today is trust. To trust through the season that you're in. <clears throat> so I don't know if you can relate with this, but I am 33. And way back in the day, like in the early 2000s, if you wanted to go and get something from the store, you had to follow a certain process of things. Now, if you're younger, like maybe mid-20s or younger, you might, you might not know what I'm talking about. But if you're older like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, okay, I need this thing from the store. So you got to get, this is the process. You identify the, the thing. You identify the store. We're going back in time, people. And if, if you don't know what this is, just imagine it might be a horror for some 
some of you. But this is what I did. I'm like, okay, I need this thing. What's the store? That's the store. I would get my shoes on, and then I would go to my family's one shared computer, turn it on, wait five minutes, and then I would go to MapQuest. That's right, MapQuest. Maybe check my Hotmail or MySpace, whatever. And then I would go to MapQuest and be like, okay, here are all the directions. And this is literally what, this is the, pro, the process. And then you get a post-it note and you write down all of the directions. And then you get your code on, you run to your car, you open the door, you put the post-it note on the dashboard, you start your car, you drive, you drive, you get to the store. And then when you're at the store, there's thousands of people because everyone had to go to stores to get everything. And I hate crowds of people. And you're dodging through people. You get your thing. You wait in this really long line, praying that someone would invent self-checkout. No one's invented it yet. I know. Preach. There we go. And then you get your stuff. I'm from Washington, so I run to my car because it's raining because it always rains in Washington. I drive home. I always lose my directions because I'm directionally challenged, and I'm trying to go in reverse on the post-it note. Finally, after an hour of driving, I get home, shut the door, and I'm just exhausted. Anyone relate? You got, yeah, that's how, and now you just got to talk to your girl Siri and she gets it in five seconds, which is crazy when she can hear what you're saying. <laughs> and it, it's crazy. It's, 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 what's interesting is that the more technological our society gets, the less we need to grow in patience. I mean, if you want to talk, watch a TV show back in the day, you had to watch one episode and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen in Friends. I have to wait a week. Now you can binge watch the whole thing in one, sh in one sitting on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. If you, wanted to eat, if you want to eat something now like you, and you don't want to make the food, it can be dashed to your door in like no time. We're in many ways becoming a post-waiting culture, which I'm on board for. I'm great for a lot of these things, but it does beg the question, what about the things that are really important to us? I mean, the things that apps can't help with, the things that we need to grow in patience for to be able to endure, that we need to wait for, the things that we need to trust for. When I was a, I haven't told many people the story, um, but when I was a junior in high school, uh, whenever I walked, I, on my left foot, I felt like this pain <clears throat> in the middle of my hip. <clears throat> Every time I would walk, I would feel this pain. And I would walk, and I'm like, what's going on? For a couple months, I just ignored it, but it got to the point where I, I couldn't ignore the pain anymore because it hurt too bad. I told my parents, we went to the doctors, I got an MRI, and the doctor took me um, into the office, shut the door, had my parents and me sit down, and said, Michael, um, I'm glad you're sitting down for this because you actually have a rare incurable hip disease and you were gonna be crippled for the rest of your life and on a wheelchair. I said, excuse me, what are you talking about? And he said it again, and it's like everything stopped. I mean, how do you respond to that? So then he, he scheduled a hospital visit for me um, a week later just to be sure that, that their diagnosis was right and then he sent me home on bed rest, and he said that, that you are just to do nothing but sit or lay in that bed and just wait for a week. And the crazy thing about, that, about what happened was right before I started feeling pain, like maybe a week before, I started following Jesus. Like I gave my life to Jesus, I became a Christian, and then boom, that happened. 
And I remember just lying in bed, waiting for that week to pass so I can learn more. And I honestly was just was wondering, how can I trust a God that would allow someone so young to live life like I was about to? The psalmist once wrote, you have turned my mourning into dancing. And I laid there thinking, how can someone who's crippled dance? Like, how can this, how can this be turned into good? Have you ever found yourself just having deep questions like that for God? Questions that that you feel are just so deep that you just can't tell other people. Have you ever been just waiting in a circumstance where you're just wrestling, wrestling with patience, wondering just how could you ever trust? And maybe you're here right now, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there right now. You see, patience is not an easy thing. Trusting is not an easy thing because it requires something from us. So I was there, I was laying in my bed, waiting. And as I was waiting, I would have these conversations with the God I just started following, whether I can trust him with my life or not. Because so far, it wasn't looking too good. And it was during that that week that I realized that patience can be painful. That sometimes patience isn't just waiting for a good thing to happen, but sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, patience is waiting for a miracle to happen, for healing to happen, for redemption to happen. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing that that has changed countless lives. And here is the thing that changed my life. When Israel, the Bible's all about Israel. When Israel was, was broken apart, when Israel was suffering, in the middle of that brokenness and that suffering, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about someone who would come and save them. But he wrote about this, this, this savior in a way that seemed anything but triumphant or victorious. He wrote, he was despised and rejected, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Wow, what a savior. And then he continued, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Friends, he was talking about Jesus. And I don't know, like honestly, where you're at with Jesus. I don't. I don't know if you've been following Jesus for a while. I don't know if you have and you're not anymore, or if you haven't and you just have deep questions. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at when it comes to big, weighty topics and experiences like suffering. I don't. I don't have an answer for you. But I know for me, when I was waiting there, knowing that God suffered because of me was relatable to me. I was, I was able to relate to him. That he was with me in my suffering. And on bed rest, I decided that, man, that's someone I can risk trusting. I can risk that. Even though I don't know what was going to happen, 
Maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe it's not going to be okay. And, and as I waited, as I was patient, and as I had those conversations, God slowly transitioned from the God who caused me to suffer to the God who suffered with me. Even though today I still don't fully understand why people suffer. And, and here's the thing about God, though. He's not just the God who suffered with us. He's also the God who suffered for us. Isaiah continues, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. God suffered for us. That's what the cross is all about so that peace can be known in your life, so that healing can be known in your life. That's what the resurrection was all about. Helen Keller, who knew about suffering once said, we could never learn to be brave and patient if there were only joy in the world. When I went to the hospital after a week, they, they looked at it again and they said, you actually were misdiagnosed. You have something worse. But if you catch it in time, it's curable. And they just caught it in time. So, so I have a pin in my hip, I will till I die. And, and for the rest of that year, I just, I slowly recovered. And when I look back on bed rest, Patience grew trust. And when I look back, I am honestly who I am today because of that week. And if you are in a season right now where you are just patiently waiting for something, there's something when you're just really honest with yourself, you're like, I am waiting for this. I am trying to be patient for this. I feel like, like things are kind of tough right now. I don't feel like I'm growing. I want to say that you actually are growing. God is using this time to grow you. You might not know why. We might not realize it at the time. But patient seasons are growing seasons because growing patience grows you. It's one of the main ways that we grow. When you're at the dark bottom, the only place to go is up. When you are in just a wintertime season, spring is always just around the corner. And right now is is we have our individual ways where we are patiently waiting. Revelation says that one day, Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. And Revelation also says that one day, one day, we will all be around a large banquet table. The crushed grapes will be turned into wine. The kneaded bread will be baked. And there will be enough for everyone to eat and everyone to drink. And we will spend forever our lives in a season of joy. For the old order of things have passed away and the new order has come. And until then, as we patiently wait, we have an invitation to acknowledge and to trust until that banquet table time comes. Let's pray. Jesus, waiting is just so difficult. Waiting is tough. 
especially I find myself being in the Bay Area specifically, God, where there is so much attention that's, that's paid to excellence and attention that's paid to being and doing the right thing that often in order to grow, we have to wait. We have to be patient. Patience is tough, God. And I just pray that whatever we're being patient for today, God, whatever we're waiting for, that you can help us, that you can show us that you're with us, that you can show us your favor, God, and that we can acknowledge how we're growing. We can acknowledge that you're with us and that you've never left us. Be with us as we patiently wait, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So one day we will be at that banquet table and kind of symbolic to what will come because Jesus knows what's gonna come. Jesus, on the last night, he was around a table with his disciples. There was bread, there was wine. And when he was eating, laughing, drinking with his disciples, he took bread. And then when they were talking, he, he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. They were confused. What are you talking about, Jesus? And then in the same manner, Jesus took the drink and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. The disciples didn't know what he was talking about, that he would, he would die and then rise again for, for their sake so that they will be with him at the great banquet table. And that's the truth for us today, that one day we will be there. And tonight, sanctuary, we're taking communion. And in a way, we are symbolically approaching the table like the disciples did knowing the table before them that it represented the death and resurrection of Jesus and knowing that someday we'll be around a table where joy will be. And we have stations all around. We have a station there, station there, station there. And it is a serious thing. I've talked to a lot of people who, like gluten is a real issue and, and, and a serious thing. And if you find yourself needing a gluten-free one, we do have one back there. Please go over there. It's, it's a serious thing. And here's my invitation for you. As you go to the table, identify what is that area in my life that I'm really struggling with being patient? What is that? And then go to the table, eat, drink. We dip the bread with, by intinction, that's what it's called. And go back and just stand up and worship Jesus. Be in an attitude of reflection about the things that we are patient for because we are a room full of people who are waiting patiently. But our Savior is here for us. So when you feel led, stand up and go to the station.